This is The Lonely Voice with Peter Orner on Book Public from Texas Public Radio. I'm Yvette Benavides. On The Lonely Voice, Peter and I discuss short stories and what they show us about loss and the mysteries of the human condition. On today's episode, we talk about No Place for You, My Love by Eudora Welty. A woman from Toledo and a man from Syracuse who've only just met drive south of New Orleans through rural Louisiana. This unfamiliar setting is a place where they don't have to carry the constraints of their respective real lives. They don't have to communicate in this context. And yet, they connect on that most human level of loss and loneliness in this place. They were strangers to each other, both fairly well strangers to the place, now seated side by side at luncheon. A party combined in a free and easy way when the friends he and she were with recognized each other across Galatories. The time was a Sunday in summer, those hours of afternoon that seemed time out in New Orleans. The moment he saw her little, blunt, fair face, he thought that here was a woman who was having an affair. It was one of those odd meetings when such an impact is felt that it has to be translated at once into some sort of speculation. With a married man, most likely, he supposed, slipping quickly into a groove, he was long married, and feeling more conventional than in his curiosity, she sat there, leaning her cheek on her hand, looking no further before her than the flowers on the table and wearing that hat. It must stick out all over me, she thought, so people think they can love me or hate me just by looking at me. How did it leave us, the old, safe, slow way people used to know of learning how one another feels and the privilege that went with it of shying away if it seemed best? People in love like me, I suppose, give away the shortcuts to everybody's secrets. The thing about this story that's so difficult, I'm going to say difficult, it's challenging for me, is yeah. is trying to explain it to somebody right? until you find the analogy that goes along with at least what's resonant for me and how I try to make sense of these two people. But I mean, even the title is so enigmatic. The title, I have some thoughts on the title, which we can maybe get to. Because I really don't know that it's even explainable except from a different angle. Like, it's like, well, I'll just say it. I think the title is, it's as if the title of the story, I've never seen this happen. I've never seen this anywhere. Tell me if you have. Like, it's as if the title of the story was named by like a third party, you know? And and she talks about this, and you may have seen that stuff that she says about, and it's even in the story. Like there's always a third, you know. Yeah. And and I feel like I feel like I've never seen a story that that, that the third party, the invisible third party, got naming rights to the story. Um, and I I just I'm struck by that. That's very interesting. Well, she does. She did often talk about um, obliquely that things are slant that there's this right. sidewise sort of thing coming into the picture. So, But that's so interesting. No place for you, my love, from a third party. Yeah, from, from the perspective of somebody saying it, you know, the, 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 you know, the guy, I mean, we're such inside baseball, like everyone's going to be like, what the hell are you guys talking about? <laughs> but the guy at the end, who strolls across the hotel lobby to, to meet her, which... I uh, may have actually been the guy who hit her. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's, I mean, as everything with Welty, you know, there's always this veneer that she's this sort of genteel, you know, little old lady on her porch in Jackson, Mississippi, writing, you know, kind of sweet stories that, that could nothing is further from the truth. She is dark and brutal and also incredibly tender at the same time. And that's what this, this story, I, you know, I'm just reading it this morning and, and, and 
you know, I, I'm just floored by what she attempts in this story. That's what makes it so hard for me to talk about. It's. <sighs> yeah. How would you, well, how would you frame it? I mean, if we were, you know, how, I mean, to somebody, it's not a story where you like say, Oh, read this story. Cause it's about this. Like, I don't know, but you can, I mean, it's, you know, it has a basic, like, yeah. what would you say? So there's this idea that I've had in the, in the most recent readings of the story, maybe because of COVID, but, but before COVID, <laughs> this idea that I, that I have about, okay, when I used to be able to go to conferences and meet people, I was in cities and in spaces and in situations that were some of the most important and memorable things I've ever done in my life. And I did them with strangers, <laughs> right? So right, right, all right. around me were, I mean, some have turned out to be lifelong friends, but mm -hmm. for the mm -hmm. most part, in a workshop or, or whatever, a presentation or whatever, I'm in a, I'm in a space, I'm in a city um, that I've, that I experienced really very much alone. Mm -hmm. um, and then there are these other people all around me experiencing right. it too. I don't know. I know that sounds a little lame, but that's really the only way I can wrap my brain around the fact that these two people start off at a luncheon because they have sort of mutual friends and then they just look at each other and he's making assumptions about her and he says, let's go for a ride. And off they go in New Orleans and South and further South, um, two perfect strangers in this, you know, incredible city, um, uh, experiencing things that as, as they sort of intimate, they can't ever really articulate to another person they will right. she can never get across to uh you know her lover like uh, this happened and he could never really really articulate to his wife what he's I, just experienced and as strange as this story is and i agree it, you know it, it's so many important things in our lives often take place side by side with people we we hardly know and and that's what makes the story, you know, so universal. I mean, it's just it's it just because you can't articulate it doesn't mean anyone reading this, if they if they slow down enough to, you know, to really get into it because it's not a story to read fast. Mm -hmm. you, you know, you meet somebody. There's some connection. There's some, as you say, he makes assumptions about her. She makes assumptions about him, also, and they're both, you know. And they're both kind of floating in New Orleans and they're, they're northerners in New Orleans. I mean, it's kind of hilarious. She's from <laughs> Toledo, which is always kind of a punchline. He's from Syracuse, also a punchline, right? And so the two of them are at this lunch and they're surrounded by these southerners who are, are all kind of masked, you know, in their, in their laughter and their easy flow of conversation. And, you know, they're, they're not from this place. And, and anyone, who's, anyone who's been out of place in a place will will get this story so two strangers not just to each other but to the place and then you know he's yeah he says like you say he says let's go for a ride and and he knows she's gonna accept because they have had this sort of you know connection because they're both sort of the assumptions that they make out of each other is that each are having some trouble in love <laughs> you know him him most likely in his marriage and her he makes the assumption but it may in fact be right although it's never confirmed is that she's having an affair with somebody and that person may actually be married so there's there's all of you know there's this weight but all of it's unspoken and they just they they hop in the car and they start heading south of new orleans which both of them didn't even know there was such a place and they've never been to the place they're going Mm -hmm. And they don't know where they're going. They just head the car. I like this idea about the mask that you mentioned, because there is this mention of the Southern look, Southern mask of life is a dream irony. But when he first sees her on, in the opening paragraphs of the story, it says the moment he saw her little blunt, fair face, he thought that here was a woman who was having an affair. And she does seem 
I mean, she does seem to have like this open face in that moment, in spite of the hat that he doesn't like. Yes, he can see some. That's also very curious to me, that he can see something in her and she can see something in him that communicates. You're going to get in that car. We're going to get in that car together. Right. There's no question about it. And I think what, what is fascinating is that the angles are constantly changing in the story. Even the very next sentence from the one you read, the next one is, it was one of those odd meetings when such an impact is felt that it has to be translated at once into some sort of speculation. It, it, that isn't necessarily from the point of view of the, of the guy, which was the sentence you read. The moment he saw her little blunt fair face, he thought here was a woman who was having an affair. And then there's this shift. It was one of those odd meetings when such an impact is felt. That's the that's this other voice to me, this narrator breaking in. And it's almost constant that Welty in this story is changing the direction from which she's telling it. It's it's remarkable the control because she shifts, you know, there is no, you know, like point of view, no consistent point of view in the story. In 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 a way that I don't know that I've quite ever seen flipping back and forth. I mean, you talk about, you know, I don't know, these bullshit creative writing terms or writing terms like omniscience or whatever. And yeah, that's what's happening here. But but it's more like angle. It's like like she's got cameras all over the place. And sometimes, you know, she's calling upon a different one depending. And those cameras are are in varying um, uh, distances from the characters. You know, sometimes she'll widen out. Sometimes she'll go real close and, and shifting. Sometimes she'll like be watching them from afar. Sometimes she'll be from his point of view. Sometimes she'll be from her point of view. And it's a, it's, it's a constantly shifting story. It is because from there, we sort of, we, we have with a married man, most likely he supposed slipping quickly into groove. So then after that, he did not like her hat and we're still in his space. <laughs> and then we have... Um, in the next paragraph, it must stick out all over me, she thought. So right. now we're with her, and she says, um, people in love like me, I suppose, give away the shortcuts to everybody's secrets. And there are places where I'm thinking, oh, that's the third. That's the third person here. Yeah. And yeah. it's so, and that's the person to go back to what you said, who gave us this title for the story. Um, I, lo- I love all of that because it's not jarring. It's not um, disruptive. It, it, you're just sort of moving, floating through the story and it, it never feels um, like a disruption. Right. And, and it, because it's, I think there's just something so, like intimate about how close this is and you know i think most stories like this would have either people falling in love or something terrible happen and and none of that happens here they don't fall in love in my in my view but they have this connection it's like this odd kind of other place that is often like is so common but is is rarely sort of I just think like that's what always strikes me about this story. It's like it's a rare relationship depicted, you know, that I just I can't think of other examples of people sort of having like a connection that is that is strong, that is that is kind of random. But it isn't, you know, my sense is is these two are never going to see each other when this story's over. And and but yet the encounter was huge, not not random and just you might remember it a little bit but i think this was actually pretty monumental in their lives and yet it's over at at the end of the story which i'm cutting to too early no i hear what you're saying because we have these kinds of random exchanges with strangers all the time but this one's different for many reasons because it is kind of loaded um I don't know, emotionally, uh, you know, sexually even to a certain extent. But um, and yet it's not like, you know, you're talking to somebody at the grocery store. You strike up a conversation with somebody about whatever, but it's 
And those, these kinds of situations happen all the time, but this is, this is so different and so difficult to describe or articulate. And it's such an important, I'll call it a relationship. It's such an important relationship for the things that they kind of surface about maybe about love, maybe about life and mortality. I mean, not, not to overgeneralize that, but um, they, they are surfacing something that's so human and that they would not otherwise be able to reach. Right. And it's all the context, right? They're strangers in a place they're strangers to each other who both recognize in somehow in their eyes, which we do, you know, that something's up with each other. They've got a day to kill. And then here they go. And I'll read a little bit from the beginning or the second page. Did he dream of making her disloyal to that hopelessness that he saw very well she'd been cultivating down here? He knew very well that he did not. What they amounted to was two northerners keeping each other company. She glanced up at the big gold clock on the wall and smiled. He didn't smile back. She had that naive face that he associated for no good reason with the Middle West because it said, show me, perhaps. It's kind of a dumb joke on Welty's part. <laughs> show me, like <laughs> Missouri, the show me state. Um, it was a serious, now watch out everybody face, which orphaned her entirely in the company of these southerners. He guessed her age as he could not guess theirs. 32. And then and then this, which is another one of these brilliant shifts. He himself was further along. Welty writes. <laughs> and, and then if I could go on, the next paragraph is the kicker for me. The next paragraph is, yeah. is, is where the story kind of slips into this sort of like the language is almost vague, but I, I so get it. Of all human moods, deliberate imperviousness may be the most quickly communicated. It may be the most successful, most fatal sign of all. And two people can indulge in imperviousness as well as in anything else. You're not hungry either, he said. What do you hear from that? Like, what do you, how do you understand that? Or if there is any understanding, like what, what is she talking about? Because like she goes in the paragraph before, very specific, very concrete. You know, she's looking at the clock. She's from the Middle West. And then all of a sudden, this sort of like this almost philosophical of all human moods, deliberate imperviousness, maybe the most quickly communicated. And have you ever thought of that so pointedly at the fore of your mind? Or did Welty put it there for you? Do you know what I, I mean? You know, it's like often with her or anybody of her level of greatness, it's like she thinks things that you wouldn't maybe thought the edges of but never could have kind of yeah. kind of put out like she can. I want to say articulated, but that's not what this is because it no. doesn't feel it doesn't feel extre- very precise. Yeah. But I think we both know when somebody is being impervious. Oh yeah. And, and it's so common and we probably do it ourselves, but I think it's something that is so common. People, people have no interest in anyone else getting in. My life is my life. I got a circle. I got, you know, kind of an armored situation around it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's so self-protective. And it, it, what I think is the key word in this paragraph for me is like, indulging in it they're both indulging in their own imperviousness which sort of brings them together they're like i'm not telling you about me and you're not telling me about you but we both know something's up here we are together we have six hours that are unplanned (laughs) you know (laughs) let's go for a ride let's be impervious together yeah i like that he guessed her age as he could not guess theirs yeah um and then and he himself was <laughs> and then of all human moods i love that of all human moods like it's just so, such a confident declaration that that you sort of look at it and say yeah 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 that is kind of true um it is the most quickly communicated that's right. just 
I mean, you know it. You know it. You're in line at the cafe and somebody has that that armor <laughs> on, you know, like they won't look at you, won't smile. And I, I do it too. I do it every day. You know, when I, when I, you know, maybe I don't like, I see a student, I don't want them. I'm like, I, I'm not here and, 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 and don't try and talk to me. And it, it's so true. This, the idea, it's interesting that she calls it a mood, but also just the idea that it is so uh, unmistakable and it, it happens in a flash that it is the one thing that we, we as human beings can do to protect ourselves from one second to the next. So that person won't talk to us. Um, yeah, I love it. Yeah. So that is uh, in my copy of the collected stories of Eudora Welty. That whole section that you read is what I marked more than anything else in yeah. in my copy. <laughs> so. Yeah. No, it's it's it. I I think it's when you know, you know, she's great, and and all of her stories are have a certain level of greatness. But you know, there's some that 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 are even transcend you know, what she can do. And I think this is one of them. There's a few others that I could think of, but this one, and I think it sort of announces itself pretty early on. And we haven't even gotten them in the car yet. I know. <laughs> They're still in the restaurant. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but, but you know, it's like, and, and, you know, you, you feel this famous restaurant, Galatories, I think it's called, uh, in New Orleans. Um, I believe it still exists. Uh, and, uh, you know, they're in there, it's crowded and there's voices all around, but there's the only thing that's happening in this story at the beginning is the two of them, you know, making this kind of, I won't call it connection. It's almost like this disconnection of connection. You know, they're not, it's, it's their fact that they're disconnected is what makes them yes. come together, yes. you know, and, and, you know, and then he's like, well, what the hell, let's, let's take a drive. Let's, let's do it. And, uh, um, it's very, very hot. And this, the way that Welty describes heat in the story again and again, um, the oppressiveness of it, the sort of almost way that it closes them in. You know, I'm sitting here in Vermont and it's, we're in the middle of a big snowstorm and, you know, we're all kind of closed in. I feel like that, you know, it's the same kind of thing with the heat in a way. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. it, it turns you inward, you yeah. know, and, and, and yet, you know, so they're enclosed in the car together and they're heading and they head out of town. And I mean, almost every sentence is here. Sentence in the story is worth um, quoting. And I think we've talked earlier in the past, like, especially I have, like, I don't want to be so hyperbolic, <laughs> you know, but, and then we pick, you know, no place for you, my love. And we're, we're supposed to be neutral about it, you know? So, but every sentence is quotable here. Everyone. So just, I mean, just taking a random sentence, you know, like, um, out on Bourbon Street in the bath of July, <laughs> she asked at his shoulder, south of New Orleans, I didn't know there was south to here. And actually, it's emphasized. I didn't know there was any south to here. Does it just go on and on? She laughed and adjusting the exasperating hat, <laughs> which goes back to his <laughs> point of view, her <laughs> exasperating hat to her head in a different way. It was more than frivolous. It was conspicuous with some sort of glitter or flitter tied in a band around the straw and hanging down. I mean, even that rhyme there, glitter or flitter. I mean, she just gets away with all kinds of shit in this story. <laughs> and the thing is, uh, in the sort of the next little section about the heat, it's out of this world. Degrading heat, she said yeah. and added, doesn't matter. Right. Right. It's, and here we go. I, that's a, also, um, you know, when you think about their, you know, imperviousness, deliberate or otherwise, <laughs> they're also not going to let the heat affect them. <laughs> they're not going to respond to the to those sorts of things uh, too easily. Um, so I like that idea. You know, you said something before about how dis the, so they're so disconnected together um and it reminds me of something i was uh, talking to somebody about regarding our covid times and here we are again with you know with the new variant and masking up again and all of that um going to remote learning etc and this idea of how we are interconnected and so isolated at the same time. So it's 
when when I think about this story, it's like they are so obviously interconnected. They're you know to a certain extent, and they they manage to maintain this very critical distance that I don't know if it ramps up the tension or or what it's doing in the story, but it's a very interesting thing that's happening um, as we enter the space of the car with them. Yeah, you know, I, it's so interesting to think about um, ramping up the tension because this story is so tense. But at the same time, there's this like, almost contrary kind of relaxedness of it because they've got nothing really to lose. They're just... You know, I mean, and how often do we do this? I mean, I think everybody remembers having done it, but maybe maybe, <laughs> maybe lately it's so kind of foreign. I mean, you can't just point the car someplace right now, you know, and 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 with somebody you don't know usually, you know, and, and so <laughs> I, I I feel like um there's something kind of dreamy about it and something sort of um you know the opposite of tense you know it's like it's there's something almost kind of um weirdly uh like leisurely about this and sort of like we don't know what's going to happen um we're just gonna we're just gonna observe things uh and experience something and and i feel like there's like on the alleg there's an alligator on the ferry (laughs) there's something about the way that they open themselves up in the story they have no real agenda. I mean, they eventually have to head back, but it feels like they have no map. They have no itinerary. So the, I think you're right. It's a very interesting, there's there's that, I don't know if tension is the right word now. The, but I, I think that it's tense because there's a certain level of darkness and menace in in the possibilities in this story for things to go wrong. And even when I read it again, and I, you know, I think we both read the stories many, many times. Mm-hmm. I still am a little bit like nervous. You know, I don't know who this guy is. <laughs> I don't know where he's taking her. You know what <laughs> I mean? And yet, you know, and yet she. There's no question that that they're both sort of doing this together. Like, you know, they're taking each other in a way. I think, and 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 so it's weird. It is, yeah, it's this weird contradiction. It is tense, and yet it's also um, kind of. Uh, there's something joyous about just um, just flinging themselves together and doing this. And there's a wonderful line um, which uh, happens after they've been driving, uh, and it's on. Uh, well, I'm on. I have the individual volume. Um, uh-huh. it's, in, it's after a space break, fairly early on in the story. They've been driving, and then they decide to sort of take a detour and cross the levee, um, and then and then they get on a ferry, and so. And the line is this, he might have been keeping track over years and miles of how long they could keep that tiny ferry waiting. It's as if, you know, the suggestion being like, oh, that ferry's always been waiting out there for these two, you know, <laughs> how, how he might have been keeping track over years. This, this suggestion that this is kind of destiny, but destiny that isn't going to necessarily change anything. I think that's what's so brilliant about the story is that it could have gone so many different ways, but Welty decides to make it just what it is, which is a fairly random connection that's pretty intense. And yet then, then, um, you know, dissipates Mm -hmm. into memory. I like the line before the part you read, because he says, shall we cross here? And there's just something about that language that for me is is loaded for the reader if not for her i don't know it's like shall, the, the word cross there shall we cross here shall we take it to the next level shall we you know exactly um, transcend you know, there, yeah there's no turning back from like a crossing yeah. you know they're getting on a boat and they're leaving <laughs> the mainland you know and and <laughs> And so, yeah, and and again, she's like, there's no question that this that they're going to do this, and that's why it's almost like this. Welty suggests like they 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 were always going to get on that boat for their whole lives. It was heading to this place, and yet, it, it, I've repeated it so many times now, but the, the, this isn't totally life changing either. And that's what is just so striking to me, you know, that that these small things that happen to us that that stick 
are not necessarily things that alter um, anything material in our lives, mm-hmm. but but are but are huge. And he's not; he is no longer driving the vehicle that they're in. Yeah. Now the two of them are on the ferry, and it's sort of like he's had to, in the sense, relinquish control of where they are headed and. Now they're sort of equalized in a in an interesting way, and then of course her hat, the hat flies off her head. <laughs> it had to; it was bound to happen. <laughs> well, and not only that, but it's one of the it's a line that I in old notes and reading the you know from just the last time I read it, I can tell it's in a different pen than the one I was using today. But I, the line about um, where the hat does come off. They started with no perceptible motion, but her hat blew off like that. That's such an amazing and that it's kind of like I think that sort of like tells you a lot about the story. Right. You know, it's like there's an imperceptible movement in the story and yet the hat falls off. Like that's how it feels. I, I just think that's such a vivid and, you know, it's a remarkable sentence. Really, I love that sentence. I just felt like I remember and it wasn't even the first reading years ago now, but when I read it recently, and of course I've read it a few more times recently, I just stopped right there. They started with no perceptible motion. And I thought, but that really happens. And only wealthy would be able to write this line. Yeah. Because it gets fairly ordinary. He went spiraling to the deck below where he, thank heaven, sprang out of the car and picked it up. Like he's not, now it kind of allows some, this gallant act, which isn't, isn't, <laughs> isn't very unique either. You know, isn't, is, you know, she's constantly sort of switching between really remarkable things and really ordinary things. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, this is a fairly ordinary situation. Like you said, like conferences, stuff happens. You go out, you know, people talk. There's, you know, there's things that happen. And that's all this really is. You know what I mean? Is two strangers, which isn't that unusual, you know, decide to you know, take a little trip. But within that, and, and there's these constant things that are kind of playing against that ordinariness, like further down from that, from the scene with the hat blowing off is another one of remarkable to me moments. It has to do with the shadows. So she's standing above, she's standing on the deck just below the captain's, uh, quarters on this little ferry and then he he gets up in out of the car and joins her now his shadow fell partly across her the boat had jolted into some other strand of current her shaded arm and shaded hand felt pulled out from the blaze of light and water and she hoped humbly for more shade for her head it had seemed so natural to climb up and stand in the sun this like I don't know. It's just this sort of like she's she's it's just strange. This, mm-hmm. this feeling she has like she wants to get out there in the sun and yet you know she sort of wants more shade which you're not going to get if you're on a boat <laughs> yeah. underneath the bright sun and then he's standing next to her and his shadows partly across it's like there's something so intimate about like him allowing up for a little shadow but not enough and she wants more. Yeah. I don't know if necessarily she wants any more shadow from him. It doesn't say that. She yeah. wants more shadow. Um, it's just a very odd. I mean, she's how carefully she's seeing this um, is is just uh, totally uh, astounds me. Again, there we go with that purple. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that gets us anywhere. Because right before that, where it says, well, obviously, too, it says um, it was like riding a stove. And then her yes. shoulders dropping, her hair flying, her skirt buffeted by the sudden strong wind. She stood there thinking they all must see that with her entire self, all she did was wait. And then the shadow. Yeah, I love that, that, um, that connection there and that it's in the same paragraph. You know, there's a datedness to this, right? That, 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 that here's a woman, she's involved presumably with a married guy and her whole life is waiting. Like, you know, like I think we sort of, you know, push away from that. And there's other things in this story too, for sure. Right. Um, but the core of it is so powerful that I think it transcends any kind of, you know, kind of datedness actually. But, but there is that, but it's a remarkable thing and not something that um, is just a woman waiting on the married guy thing. It's like, you know, who is, a lot of people are waiting. Right. And the idea of like, all she is is waiting was, uh, you know, kind of a, just a, 
a startling revelation. There seems to be um, this sense of almost like he's figuring out in this new context his role. He did, after all, bring the retrieved hat up the stairs to her. She took it back, useless, and held it to her skirt. It's like, well, here's your hat. And she did, you know, see, she suddenly has no use for it. What they were saying below was more polite than their searchlight faces. And so, and then it goes from there. But I felt I had this moment of feeling like he was filling a sort of a role, you know, this gallant thing that he did. Right. And she's like, I don't need the hat. It goes back and forth between, you know, these sort of odd scenes again, because I think it's like the the ch- the choice that Welty makes of how to see it, like what angle to watch these two. But then, you know, they end up do having some some fairly ordinary conversations. Like he even says, like, it's never anything like this in Syracuse. <laughs> like it's kind of <laughs> like it's so hot down here. Just like completely things that you know strangers would say to each other. Because you, you got to fill the time with some dialogue, right? And and they don't really know each other. And so they, you know, and then she says, or in Toledo either, she replied with dry lips. <laughs> so, you know, there's a certain sense of ordinariness, um, they be, you know, in interspersed between the sort of like the heightened, like, wow, this, they, we must be hearing, we must be eavesdropping on this story for some reason. We must be with these two for some reason. Something is really important here. But I have these moments. That? Yes, and I I have these moments when I'm reading Welty sometimes where I feel like is she is this for a reason? Is this just so much important pacing that we actually kind of need? What what is going on here with like the really ordinary kind of awkward moments? The I I, I feel like they're so necessary and they do parallel what happens in real life later on where she's like where's my water you know <laughs> right, right, he's having right. a ham sandwich you know all that he's having a ham sandwich he has he has another sandwich like one thing you don't maybe do on a date is like just kind of like just mouth your way through multiple sandwiches like it's just like this is something well, and, so incredibly absurd about this and not in new orleans or near new orleans where there's a cauldron of something bubbling on the you know at the, on the stove and he asks the guy for a ham sandwich. good old right right, right right there's this cajun wonderful you know boiling shrimp and everything um so i mean the story is even wealthy can be, you know, hilarious, right? And so mm-hmm. I, there is moments, you know, the alligator and 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 all kinds of moments. Even in the in the in the when they get to the, we haven't even gotten them to the bar yet. They're heading to a bar, which is at the end of the road, right? But before they get there, um, you know, they do have this pretty intense moment where she says, "What's what is your wife like?" She asked, and then he, she immediately shifts angles. His right hand came up and spread iron wooden manicured. <laughs> like that's like what his his hand is and he, what he's doing. I I I this morning at six o'clock in the morning I was reading this and I was like, what's happening here? And I so I raised my hand up and you, you I, I did it. Like his right hand came up and spread iron wooden manicured. My hands sure aren't manicured, but um, <laughs> you know it's basically like stop, don't sit, don't 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 go there. Right? Is that how you read this? Oh, yes. Like, stop. Um, yes. It's a very disturbing exchange, I think. Right. She's, she smiled herself as unaffected as by some stage performance. Yeah, because so, this doesn't matter, right? Doesn't, he doesn't matter. She doesn't know him. This doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. Yeah. Or so, they, so she tells herself. And, right? yeah. And the idea of iron... You're not going to penetrate that wooden, unmoving, and manicured. I felt like manicured was sort of saying to her, I'm a person back in Syracuse of a certain importance or something, you know, that he would have to, you know, have his hands manicured. It's a message she can, she'll never be able to decipher because he'll never have to share that information with her about who he is in Syracuse. You know, then this this returns, which I know we'll come back to, because this moment comes back in a very key moment, very strange, mysterious moment, because it's never quite explained. But she does 
think about it. She doesn't forget this moment. Oh, it's yeah. not ins- insignificant yeah. that he that he kind of puts his hand almost almost in her face, really. Um, and that is that his eyes have the same look. It's an incredible sentence here. She lifted her eyes to his face. He looked at her like that hand. Like that's like writing is typewriter walking. Like he looked at her like that hand. That shouldn't work. But you know, it 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 does. You know, it totally it, iron wooden manicure. Like it's like, and I read manicured a little bit like not fake exactly, but sort of like there's the there's yeah, like you say, like how I am back in Syracuse is, you know, I'm I'm this person, you know, but yes. you know, and 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 I think also he's also saying like I, I don't know how I read it. I mean, I read it differently every time, but I, 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 you know, it's aggressive, but it's also like, it maybe we shouldn't spoil this, mm-hmm. whatever it is, you know, mm-hmm. kind of thing. But, you know, there's something very blunt about him. And, and often, like we said, with the sandwiches, also the way he drives, it's really aggressive. Like, yeah. you know, this guy's not the, there's nothing really like that attractive about, about this guy, you know, and yet, you know, he is the one that said, let's drive south. Like he instigated the, the story. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't, and, you know, I think we could probably talk a little bit about the origin of the story based on something that she experienced. She drove down south with a guy she didn't know from New Orleans one time, one time. And it stuck with her so intensely that she, um, you know, she created a fictional story around that experience. What do you make of the next section about they see this person who says, you're coming to the end of the road. It says, um, he pointed ahead, tipped his hat to the lady and pointed again, end of the road. They didn't understand that he meant take me. And they drove on. If we do go any further, it'll have to be by water. Is that it? He asked her, hesitating at this odd point. You know better than I do, she replied politely. But it's this idea of they are driving away from every every other thing and going in this in this other direction. And the man is saying to them, You're going to the end of the road, and they're and they just keep going. Um, it's just a very curious section for me. And at that moment, I feel like you know, very curious about where they're going to go next. And I mean, I do think it's it's sort of becomes a little bit more suspenseful. Like I'm wondering, is this where the story is going next, of course? And it's just, it's just the idea of you're coming to the end of the road and they just want to keep going. Priest's house, which uh, on the clothesline in the yard, a priest's black gown on a hanger hung airing, swaying at man's, at, at man's height in a vague train-like, lady-like sweep along an evening breath that might otherwise have seemed imaginary from the unseen felt river. I mean that, and again, one of these sentences is like, like you're really going to go that far? Like it's so great to have a priest's Cossack or gown mm-hmm. <laughs> hanging on the line itself, but then she goes on with a ladylike sweep, and just like you can see it sort of drifting in the wind. And then a few paragraphs down, the priest himself comes out on the porch in his underwear, which is so great, right? <laughs> no, no need for any kind of free, you know, kind of freely language there. Like the priest <laughs> came out on the porch in his underwear, <laughs> stared at the car a moment as if he wondered what time it was. Is it getting- <laughs> getting time to go to church then collected his robe off the line and then he has there's a catfish on the doorstep he he collects that too and he returns inside she talks in an interview about how place is so important in the story and she said it really kind of wrote the story as place and i feel like um you know she the place is so magical and mysterious but you know all she had to do was sort of be there in person and take a few notes you know Mm -hmm. so what happens at the bar through there came a smell of garlic and cloves and red pepper, a blast of hot. Oh, this is where he asks for the coldest beer you've got and food. What will you have? Nothing for me, she said. So the, I, I just find this part interesting. It's a, she's she's languishing a little bit. I felt like there was something happening with her in this part. And, and then she's revived again. Just the idea of she she needed water. And, you know, with with literature 
you know, I always sort of look at water and and try to figure out if there's something else going on. But th- just this idea of she asks, I could have asked him for some water. Then she does ask for water. And then she doesn't get the water. But they've just come from the ferry too. So I was trying to figure out, and maybe I'm trying too hard to make sense of this, but something with her in this space that's a little bit lower energy than his. And he's the one who sort of brings her out to dance. And I don't know, there's something's happening with her in this part of the story for me that I'm I'm trying to figure out all the well, time. You know, I, I to me, one one explanation is first of all, it's hot. She's tired. It's been a long day. And, and you know, and sort of they, they're, they're, the motion of the car is gone now. And so they're, just, they're there in the heat in this place. And, you know, she says she doesn't want any food. And it's, it's kind of funny that Baba, the, the proprietor, gives her, gives her a sandwich anyway, you know, <laughs> but she ends up eating a little bit. Like, you know, maybe she just needed, needed, the, needed that, needed a little mm-hmm. energy. Um, but I feel, like, I feel like there is a sort of languishing here. That, that 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 changes it starts to change when they uh when they dance um mm-hmm. you know and there's that that they dance like you know she welty describes them as kind of dancing perfectly like this is exactly sort of what they came to do mm-hmm. you know and then they're in the middle of the dance floor and i think it's worth saying you know you know that the implication here is they're only the only two white people in the bar mm-hmm. you know and 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 I, I you know i've thought about this a lot in the last few days, like there's something about this story that, you know, they're tourists, they're tourists. And, and so many stories about tourists tear them down, you know, mm-hmm. and it, it's the easiest, easiest, it's fish in a barrel to tear down tourists. Right. But, but who, you know, who hasn't been a tourist in a place, you know, like we're all tourists sometimes. And I feel like there's so much sort of love for these two in this place and also for the people in the bar everybody is described distinctly um and 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 just you know i I feel like wealthy is almost overflowing with love for everybody around in this place and you know and you know you could look at that like oh you know it's it's there's a certain datedness of that too is like you know the, the the white couple dancing at the bar and you know she's the only woman in the place at all, except for Baba's mother, who's kind of back in the kitchen with the bubbling cauldron of <laughs> shrimp. Um, you know, it's just something about it that could in, in lesser hands would, I think not be a story we'd still be reading. Right. You know, but there, there's something so, um, uh, so intense uh, and, and, and honest about, you know, about us all being in a situation where, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're in a place that's strange and people are sort of paying a little bit of attention to us because of that. But mostly what I think is the beauty of the bar scene is they're mostly ignored. Mm-hmm. You know, they're mostly like everybody, you know, kind of just goes along and does their own thing. Mm-hmm. There's the one guy who comes up to them and says, I'm sorry. I, my friend said something ribald coming in <laughs> and they didn't, they didn't even hear it, you know, and because they, they did, the guy didn't know that a woman was in the bar, but you know, there, there's a few moments where they're, paid attention to but mostly i think the beauty of the story is they're able to just be in this place mm-hmm. and you know it, it goes contrary to the title no place you know for you my love and it seems like yes this is the place this is the place for the two of them in this moment just for this you know early evening which is what it is i do like where um he gets down from the stool, reverses her hand, just as she had yeah. the look of being about to give up, faint, began. Right. And then they were dancing. And then there's this, I get to thinking this is what we get, what you and I deserve, she whispered, looking past his shoulder into the room. And all the time, it's real. It's a real place, a way off down here. And then there's this reference to one of those clippings was an account of a shooting right here. I guess they're proud of it. And that awful knife Baba was carrying. And then, who, you know, and then they're, they're having this conversation, but then, then we get, if they had ever been going to overstep themselves, it would be now. 
as he held her closer and turned her when she became aware that he could not help but see the bruise at her temple. So it's so um, exactly what you're saying. It's like, it's so cinematic. Like we get to see everybody. And as you say, there's such love for the little boys that are there and everything that's happening. And they're sort of the, you know, the outsiders and they're not treated that way. They can eat and drink whatever and dance. And then she's in her suddenly in her own world, thinking about these things and saying them out loud. And it it happens at the moment when they are finally physically so close to each other. Right, right. And, you know, they couldn't have done this at Galatories, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they couldn't, they, they needed to be here. And, you know, the thing I think about when I think about this story is a few things. I think about them on the boat. I think about them dancing. And I also think about the kid in the bar that has a live lizard on his shirt, <laughs> slinging like a breast pin. It's just, you know, and there's so many small things like that. And 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 Baba, a little bit down from there, says he, he had set an open frosted brown bottle before her on the counter and a thick sandwich and stood looking at her, um, you know. Baba made her eat some supper for what she was, which is an enigmatic line. Um, it's hard to know exactly what that means, but you get a sense of like somebody saying, "Like, look, if you're going to come in my bar, <laughs> you're going to have some, you're going to mm-hmm. have some lunch," you know. So, but that, but at that point too. So there's this thing about them; they were like a match team, like professional Spanish dancers, but wearing masks. Yeah, and then. Surely even those immune from the world for the time being need the touch of one another or all is lost. Their arms encircling each other, their bodies circling the odorous just nailed down floor. They were at last imperviousness in motion. They had found it and had almost missed it. They had had to dance. They were what their separate hearts desired that day for themselves and each other. I mean, there's a little like love the one you're with kind of thing there. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, but you know, but, but you know, and again, it's not something you associate with wealthy, but there's something <laughs> so just very honest about, look, sometimes just, you know, they're having these, you know, he, they're having these conflicts in their personal lives and, the, the, you know, they're, they're each an oasis for each other. And then they, but they have to find a place where they can do that. So it does all line up. You know, and, and as things do sometimes, sometimes you just find yourself in the right place. And, you know, uh, uh, but but the the line, you know, it gets very, very dark there also, because the implication is um, that uh, when they're dancing so closely, he's going to see something that she's maybe not necessarily been hiding, but he hasn't noticed it. Uh, and that's that she has a bruise at her temple. Mm-hmm. It would not be six inches from her eyes. She felt it come out like an evil star. And then in parentheses, and I, I spent, you know, half an hour this morning trying to quite figure out where Welty was going here. And then in parentheses, which is a long parentheses, let it pay him back then for the hand he had stuck in her face when she tried once to be sympathetic. Now, if she tried once to be sympathetic... Like that was just 45 minutes ago at most, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, when she'd asked about his wife, so it, there's something about the, the fact that, that she has this bruise that will like pay him back mm-hmm. for inquiring, for, for, for being kind of an asshole when he, she asked him about her wife. And I don't know, it's like, a what do you, what do you make? <laughs> what do you make of it? Well... Same half half an hour or more, <laughs> but it's what's interesting to me. I always, th- when I look at the story again, I think that's why she was wearing that crummy hat. And then, um, and I feel like we all do this. Like somebody does something like, you know, he puts his hand up. She's trying to be sympathetic or break the ice or whatever. Right. right and he's right. just that. Not it's not that he's aloof. Is that he's just that abrupt and that sort of set in the idea of you will not, I will remain impervious. You will not cross right. the spine. Right. And it obviously did hurt her. So she's still thinking about it. 
And for her, when he put up his hand, he might as well have hit her. I know that's that's pretty severe, but no, she's but sort I of think... saying, is it a conflation of both men or something? It's a, it's so interesting psychologically. He did hurt her. He he did hurt her, and which, me, which means she's not impervious, right? Oh yeah, right. And so I guess I get <laughs> is what you're saying is is that 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 the fact that now he can see the bruise, you know, that will make him less impervious because he'll feel like he'll feel like some understanding of her other life. Is that is that mm-hmm. what you think? I think you said it better than I thought it. So <laughs> I, I don't know. I just got what I you said. It's you know. sort of like let this will this will teach him. Look at my bruise. <laughs> you right. know, right. look what happens right. when you are so careless with somebody. You know, I, some there's something of that there. I think. And this isn't supposed to happen when they are, uh, you know, indulging in their imperviousness. And basically, you know, at a certain point, you stop indulging in your mm-hmm. imperviousness and you get to know somebody. And that comes with, you know, consequences. So, yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I think, you know, I think I think it's there. But, you know, wealthy's never going to hand you something. And mm-hmm. again, think of think of a deft a, 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 any other writer. And how and how and how kind of that would fit too neatly, you know, or 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 you know, and and you know, there's something maybe to be said why the fact that wealthy doesn't make as big a deal as she should about you know that what's basically domestic violence, right? The very next line is, they danced on still as the record changed after standing wordless and motionless, linked together in the middle of the room for the moment between. That to me was like wow. Like that's that was a a great detail to begin with, yeah. But it's it's still saying a lot. Like they're still in this moment of I don't even know what to call it. They just remained linked and dancing, even though there's not any music. And but, there's a reason for them to have come apart there, right? I mean, mm-hmm. there, you know. Maybe he would have stepped back and said, "Oh my God," you know, or would it, But he no, they 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 hold on and and mm-hmm. you know talk about crossing over. But again, to where? Like I don't read this as them falling in love. I no. I just I read it as as two people, you know, getting over their imperviousness and and what that means is they keep holding each other. Which again, I ask you. I mean, how many times have you read anything quite like this? Mm-hmm. Like a, a connection that isn't you know, somehow kicked into another gear because that's how stories go. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think the restraint in this is remarkable. One thing, Welty has a wonderful quote about Virginia Woolf where she talks about, you know, no matter how uh, ethereal or kind of vague even, you know, and, and sort of um, philosophical, uh, uh, Wolf can be. She's talking about Virginia, uh, to the to the lighthouse. She says the language or the, the story. I forget exactly is always um, connected to the earth with an iron clamp. Something, hmm. something along the lines, like she says, and I think that's what happens in this sentence. You say they danced on still as the record changed. Like we're back on the dance floor. You know this this sort of thing she can't quite express. You know that that sort of them giving away their imperviousness giving away and him and she really giving it back to him by by allowing him mm-hmm. as close to see the bruise like then we're back to the dancing it's like you know welty like wolf doesn't forget like where she is in the scene mm-hmm. and you know and they keep dancing and you know like, in a sense the story kind of culminates right there don't you think i do and i was thinking of, as you were talking about how First, they're in the car, then they're on the ferry. Now they're on, you know, on solid ground on on terra firma. This is what they're going to do. As they get back to the car, it says going back, the ride was wordless, quiet, except for the motor and the insects driving themselves against the car. That's also and, you know, there's that little space right before this section. They've they've been through something. But of course, they're going to go through something else, as you know. But it's very interesting to me that it's sort of like, well, of course they had to. They're they're both, you know, standing there in this place. They were going. There's music. There's dancing. 
they're going to come together. But when they're back in the car, what could possibly happen now? And as we know, something else must happen before the story ends. Maybe we leave that for the readers, right? Yes, I agree. (laughs) I mean, it's almost like if we say it, it's going to sound wrong. You know what Uh, I mean? Uh, Too obvious. A thing is incredible if ever only after it is told, Will Teeth reminds us. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And that is, talk about, uh, you know, that, that coming towards the end of the story. A thing is incredible if ever only after it is told return to the world it came out of. For their different reasons, he thought, neither of them would tell this unless something was dragged out of them, that strangers they had ridden down into a strange land together and were getting safely back by a slight margin. Eudora Welty is the author of No Place for You, My Love. It was first published in 1952. Peter Orner is the author of two novels and three story collections, including Maggie Brown and others. His collection of essays is titled Am I Alone Here? Notes on Living to Read and Reading to Live. A new collection, Still No Word from You, will be published in October of 2022. Peter Orner is the Director of Creative Writing at Dartmouth College. This has been The Lonely Voice with Peter Orner on Book Public from Texas Public Radio. Write to us at bookpublic at tpr.org. Jacob Rosati composed our theme music. Dan Katz is Texas Public Radio's News Director. I'm Yvette Benavides. Benavides.